For a long time, businesses and consumers have been used to the take, make, dispose approach to goods and services. But in a world of finite resources, this approach cannot be sustainable. The Investor Group on Climate Change, the IGCC, call this a decisive decade for climate action, where investors are increasingly exploring systemic approaches that have the potential to reduce emissions, whilst simultaneously addressing other important environmental and social goals. And one such approach is to adopt a circular economy model. I'm Vanessa Hodge, Mercer UK Sustainability Integration Lead, and I'm pleased to be joined by the co-authors of the recent IGCC discussion paper for investors on the circular economy called Regenerate and Restore. Ashley Morris is the CEO and co-founder of Corio, a company helping to create circular economies. And Gillian Reed is a partner in Mercer's global sustainable investment team. We're also joined by Jamie Butterworth, who's a partner at Circularity Capital, a specialist private equity firm providing access to investment opportunities created by the circular economy. So let's get started. And probably the most obvious question to start with is, what is the circular economy? So it is very much our future economic system. And by definition, the circular economy is a systemic approach to economic development. It's designed to benefit business, environment and society. It's underpinned by three globally accepted principles that really help people to ground their understanding on what it is and how it can be applied. The first of those principles is designing out waste and pollution. The second is how we look at keeping products and materials in use at their highest value for as long as possible. And the third and final principle is how we can look to regenerate our natural systems. Now, today, 41 countries have established a national circular economy policy. And the main drivers are from this are because of the systemic benefits that a circular economy promotes. It can help us address 45% of greenhouse gas emissions that can't be met by renewable energy and energy efficiency measures alone. It can help us restore the loss of biodiversity. It can unlock and create jobs in resource recovery can also focus on the, the materials that we're wasting in our society today. And there's an enormous amount of waste happening with our current economy, measured to be only 8.6% circular. And importantly, it also promotes resilience and really supports local job creation and innovation. Now, whilst it is a global uh, model in intent, it is local and contextual in its implementation. You can see circular economy applied by companies like Philips, where they're moving from selling their products like their lighting infrastructure to now selling the service of this product, which is illumination, right the way through to a local cafe on a city street where they're focused on using technology to understand what food of food waste gets wasted most often, which then can change uh, their procurement practices. Okay, so I think another good question around that point Um Vanessa would be to think through who's actually investing in the circular economy and why. Um, And we believe that there are four drivers um, which are accelerating the transition towards the circular economy and that these are long-term kind of secular trends. Um, The first one of those is that businesses are simply using the circular economy to make more money. So by developing circular business models they are able to keep assets operating longer. Um, They're able to get a better return on that asset. They're able to 
increase the margin that they're getting through the products that they're providing. And also they're building these stickier customer relationships with repeat interactions. So simply it makes sense for good business. And to come to Ashley's example of Philips, um, that's why they're doing that with lighting, for example, also in the transition around healthcare equipment, moving away from selling MRI machines to hospitals to selling imaging. And in that regard, then becoming the custodian of that product and optimizing that product to be able to work for longer and more use cycles, for example. So that's number one. The second one is we're definitely also seeing a changing landscape where we've got a new generation of consumers, arguably maybe now users, who are increasingly interested in the provenance of products, where they come from, how they're made, and the attributes of those products from a sustainability perspective. And that's also linked to increasing regulatory pressure around the end of life of products and also flowing right the way through to topics around climate change and increasingly now biodiversity as well. And we'll hear some examples of that. For example, in the EU, there's a big circular economy action plan, which is just coming into effect at the moment. The fourth area is technology. So there are particular advances which are accelerating the circular economy. For example, now everybody has a smartphone or a smart device on them. We know more about the location, status, demand, and condition of products. And simply knowing that data means that we're seeing more product as a service models popping up in the economy and assets are able to be used in a more intelligent way and cycled across users. And then finally, we're also seeing um, investors increasingly interested in identifying investment opportunities where they're able to deliver a collinearity between financial returns and a positive social or environmental impact. So all of these four factors come together to make the circular economy a really interesting long-term secular trend for businesses, governments, and investors. I might pick up on that. It, the reason why it is so appealing, I think, from an investor point of view and why I'm excited about it is it is a solution. It, it's the opportunity. It's a solution. It's the positive new development as opposed to another issue that investors are having to tackle because, to my mind, a circular economy, the, the principles, the initiatives, it's the solution not just to climate change, so the emissions reductions that come in the energy sector but in all of the other sectors outside of energy where we've got the other 45% of emissions, but it also taps into, and Jamie mentioned it, the biodiversity loss issues that are now growing uh, and appearing on investor agendas. And then it also, for all of those investors looking to meet UN Sustainable Development Goal targets by 2030, the environmental and the social, it's consistent with, with that as well. So it's rather than, you know, I feel like investors are drowning in climate change and can't get to biodiversity and modern slavery and human rights and all of the other things that they've got building on their to-do list, this is actually an answer and a way to solve multiple issues at once. That's really interesting. And, and I think the examples have been really helpful to try and bring this to life as well. But I wondered, are, are there certain sectors that could play a big role in the circular economy? Certainly. And it's that you know, beyond the energy sector, and this is what we really look to focus on in the paper, which did have an emissions reduction focus to it, but did touch on you know, the biodiversity connections and other resource uh, connections and 
also renewing the natural environment. But that 45% outside of the energy sector, the primary sectors that investors need to be thinking about is agriculture, forestry and other land use, plus industry and materials. And that's specifically looking at steel, aluminium, plastics and cement. So there's really strong connections there to property, construction, real estate, mining, consumer staples, and then the discretionary side when you think about food and packaging. And in the report, there is an appendix that actually has a a really helpful table by sector with the existing initiatives, resources, and questions for investors to think about when engaging with companies in each of those sectors. Jamie gave some good examples, you know, around the, the trend on the circular economy. But Ashley, I wondered if you could summarise for us, you know, who or, or what is, is driving the trend towards moving to a circular economy? I don't think there's any one trend. And, you know, picking up on what Gillian was just saying, there are key sectors that have greater imperative to move faster towards a circular economy and and reap the benefits of doing so. But then for us as an organisation, you know, we work with the biggest mining companies in the world from BHP all the way through to the biggest beauty companies in the world like L'Oreal. They're, you know, respectively seeing the value in a circular economy, maybe from different lens for their contextual, you know, parts of their business and their supply chains, but equally being driven by the value that this can create in terms of, you know, unlocking some of the challenges they face to, again, to Gillian's point, this can solve for a lot of those challenges that business realise they need to solve immediately, so carbon emissions, but then also those other aspects they're becoming more and more aware of, biodiversity loss, land use change, modern slavery risk, because a lot of the product we're looking at, you know, from an Australian perspective is coming from, you know, external markets to our own that still carry a lot of risk to modern slavery. So again, circular economy enabled by advancements in technology to what Jamie mentioned earlier, we can for the first time really start to understand where our materials come from, how they're being used and where they're going and start to look to optimise some of that. We can address multiple issues all at once. We can create new revenue streams and different business models. We can have and form strategic partnerships with parts of supply chain we never deemed, you know, possible before. So I think it it, it speaks to there's a diversity of, of whys, organ, why organisations are getting involved, but uh, a number of trends underpinning it for each of these companies and, and equally government also, you know, leading a lot of the uptake of circular economy around the world. Everything you've just said, Ashley, uh, was happening before COVID and before yeah, a war between Russia and Ukraine, has that amplified it? Yeah, this focus on supply chains and system reliance, et cetera. Definitely. I think circularity is in a massive upswing in terms of organisations and government equally focusing on this. And there's a lot of geopolitics um, and that's been catalyzed, I think, certainly through the, the crisis in Ukraine and the, in the war um, as well as COVID then compounding supply chain delays and, and for the first time people realising that products aren't manufactured locally and do we have any resilience and, you know, can we focus on reshoring some of, of these practices and, and building back skills in our, in our local economies or, you know, from a government perspective, nationalising, uh, you know, our economy again to, to look at what do we stand for, what do we do, what's our unique value proposition. So I think both of those factors have really 
accelerated a circular economy focus and, and brought it into focus for government and private industry. So I think um, there are some silver linings there, um, but certainly there's a lot, a lot of work to do. I think that from what I've heard, the, the circular economy approach is, is different to the typical take-make-dispose model that the Western world in particular has operated under for a while. So, Jamie, I'll turn to you. Do, do you think that the circular economy will be a disruptor of capitalism? So that's a very good question. I think at a high level, what the circular economy does is it provides a very compelling framework to rethink an economy which is restorative by design. Um, it doesn't, however, necessarily solve all of the issues in getting to where we need to get to around climate change and biodiversity. And an example there um, would be um, around negative externalities that we have in the economy. So at the moment, we don't price in clean air, clean water, for example, biodiversity into the current market system. Um, that means that we can go some way there. But if you take something like plastics, which is, I think, an archetypal linear example uh, in the economy today, uh, where we end up wrapping things in a single use product, which end up getting dispersed all over the world, it's economically very difficult to actually recapture that um, and to feed that back into the system. And that's why uh, in some areas of the circular economy, we also need smart regulation and legislation. Um, so until we kind of internalize those negative environmental costs, there will be some need for regulation to support that. However, uh, we can see already today that driven by those drivers that we mentioned before in terms of companies making more money, uh, corporates moving in this direction, consumer uh, kind of interest in the provenance of products, the technology around asset tracking, uh, et cetera, is driving a huge amount of opportunities right now for investors to engage in. I think the important thing from an investment perspective is to be able to identify those areas in the economy where the circular economy drives these uh, the collinearity of the premium financial returns alongside the environmental impact. So there are good opportunities out there today for investors to make a lot of money and have a big impact. There are also areas of the economy that are going to be harder to shift without an external influence. So thinking about from an investment perspective, how well known are the principles of the circular economy, either by investors or more broadly by the asset management community? Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting question. We have a bit of first-hand sort of anecdote on that, which is that we went out in 2015 and raised a first circular economy specialist fund. So this was a fund specifically to support the growth and innovation of uh, growth stage businesses operating in the circular economy, businesses that have the types of solutions that are going to be required by the big corporate actors to accelerate the circular economy. And at that time, there was quite a lot of awareness across corporates, I think, driven by a lot of work going on at the World Economic Forum between 2011 and 2015, so kind of big mega corporates. However, not that much awareness within the global financial community. Uh, we then um, raised a second successor fund towards the end of last year and into early this year. And that was a real step change in awareness. And what we found was that when engaging with investors, be those pension funds, fund of funds, um, single family offices, et cetera, 
there was a very broad awareness of the concept of the circular economy. Um, now, I think to what extent that's really understood in terms of the full spectrum of opportunities, I think that one uh, uh, kind of comment around the circular economy is it's often understood as recycling. And we've heard a lot on this call already to say, actually, a lot of the value that's being created is not in that recycling loop. It's much further in the inner loops of the circular economy where we're actually moving away from selling product to selling solutions or service. Um, and that's really starting to change the design of products, components, and materials. So I think there's a, there's a lot more awareness than there was uh, four or five years ago, but probably quite a long way to go in terms of fully understanding the opportunity that the circular economy presents. I can second that. that certainly one of the drivers behind this paper was you know, in this market, there were leading investors that are already aware and applying it in their engagement with companies. There's also fund managers listed and, and unlisted that are applying it as a theme so within a sustainability-themed strategy and seeing the opportunity side there. Um, there's case studies in the paper demonstrating what some of the investors were already doing, but certainly in our working group discussions here, it became clear that many of those who were familiar with the term still had that relatively narrow view specific to waste and recycling. They didn't have all the principles clear or the many kinds of business model changes that can apply to all the different sectors and big companies, like some of the ones that Ashley mentioned before, that are changing existing business models to you know, new startups that are creating whole new solutions uh, for a different way of doing things. And they certainly weren't thinking about this in a, a system-wide or a systems change uh, way. It was also interesting just from a, a regional perspective that when we raised this paper with the other investor groups on climate change in different areas, it was actually the North Americans that actually already had it on their agenda and were most interested, which surprised me given there is so much happening in Europe and, Jamie, you already mentioned the next stage of the taxonomy coming, but perhaps that's because the European investors are still neck deep in the current regulatory changes and not yet ready for the, the next round. But I would certainly expect that the Europeans are most familiar with the concepts. I just want to explore the the point that Jamie's made a few times about co-linearity, because um, if I wanted to invest to support the circular economy, I want to make sure that I can still meet my expected return requirements and also more broadly around the management of other environmental, social governance and financial material risks. So can I can I do that through investing in the circular economy? Yeah, so I think the key thing here is, first of all, to start off with a very clear view on the attractive and unattractive attributes of different circular economy business models. So our view is that it is helpful to specialize in this space to a large extent, to look at lots of the same types of businesses and to be able to get really good at understanding um, what we like and don't like in terms of the attributes that are likely to make these companies successful from a financial perspective and also impactful from a circular economy perspective. Um, so that the, the kind of first part of that, obviously, is to understand whether the business is operating a circular business model, the extent to which that business model is going to have a positive environmental impact versus business as usual, and then to really understand the 
um, financial attributes of the company and how it's using its circular business model as a source of long-term sustainable competitive advantage versus its linear competitors. So really looking for businesses that are using the circular economy to drive a commercial advantage versus those linear businesses. I think you mentioned kind of broader environmental considerations. At the same time, it's also really important in the due diligence of these companies to ensure that they also have um, good environmental social governance practices in place and also the ability to measure that impact versus business as usual. Uh, so we think it is very much um, part and parcel of the proposition of investing these businesses that we should be able to deliver premium returns, um, but that will require us to also put in place the right structure and processes to measure that environmental impact and get that externally assured. So part of the, the success in being able to invest in the circular economy is going to be down to getting the right data, the metrics and, and so on. And I think generally when looking at, at different ESG related factors, the metrics and the data are critical, but can are not always available. Um, Ashley, what, what's being done on metrics in the circular economy space? I think around the world there is an enormous amount of work underway uh, at varying levels of maturity informing approaches to measurement for circularity. Given that it is a systemic topic, it is quite complex to try to put it into a scope and a boundary for measurement. But again, some of the best and brightest minds are, are working on this actively, and there are already some existing uh, measurement frameworks and platforms that are really supporting companies to understand what types of data they need uh, and processes to me- processes for measurement uh, to be introduced into their companies to then you know, participate in measuring their circularity performance. Some of these include the circular transitions indicator tool. We use this inside our company with particularly people, our companies in the built environment, really effective tool to understand material inflows and outflows. Then you've got really advanced tools from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation like Circulitics, quite comprehensive. And you, as a company, you would need a lot of information and data recorded to be able to successfully populate uh, that framework and understand your performance again on circularity. But then we have, you know, the International Standards Organization uh, working on a circular economy framework and standard. And I'll allow Jill to speak to what the investor community is, but we've got some tools in place already. They're helping support the maturity of our private sector in understanding what it, what it takes to measure circularity but there's a lot coming into the market, which is very exciting. Um, but then, you know, from an investor perspective, it is a little bit different in, in also in development at the moment. Yeah, agreed. Because from an investor point of view, when we're looking at lots of companies, we're very much reliant uh, typically on those data aggregators. There's multiple providers in this space that I know are investigating this and, and looking at what kind of service they can deliver to investors when it comes to circular economy and they're looking at how they how they plug that into their existing considerations around you know the risk you know financial risk to companies what uh the opportunity set looks like for companies in different sectors but it's yeah it's trying to work out how investors plug this into existing frameworks and, and methodologies and certainly carbon is still an important metric that connects into all of this. So it's thinking if you were just taking even a carbon lens on uh, different companies in different sectors, thinking about how a circular approach can help with that emissions reduction. 
But then it's moving beyond carbon and thinking about water, thinking about deforestation. And what are those other resource metrics? And we talked about that in the paper where we've given some examples where you know, you might be able to look at the percentage of revenue from circular products and solutions, so that that kind of revenue uh, perspective for companies, but then also looking at material inflows and outflows and looking at how you measure um, whether the products are recovered or renewable uh, and how utilised the outputs are. So some of those different resource metrics will be the area that we would expect uh, to in- increase and certainly moving beyond some of the metrics people might be familiar with around you know, reporting zero uh, waste to landfill. That's that's not enough anymore. <laughs> We're moving uh, beyond that. So we certainly know that it is it is a work in progress. There are certainly some starting points from a, a quantitative metrics point of view. And then as it evolves from a company perspective, we expect the data aggregators will help us as investors to think about those metrics beyond carbon, thinking about other resources, but with a circular uh, perspective. And that's, I guess I'd say that about data aggregators, that's really us thinking about the listed space. But Jamie, do you want to comment on the the unlisted or the, the private side, which is clearly a different data challenge again when we come to metrics? Thanks, Gillian. Yeah, and private companies, as uh, you've alluded to, much more difficult to find that consistency of data. Um, so our focus in that area is to, for example, if we're looking at product as a service companies to really understand the KPIs that make an attractive product as a service model and being able to follow those through and look at the growth of a company. I think the other bit from a data perspective, which is really interesting, is that circular businesses face common challenges to their growth. So as investors, if we can understand the common challenges that they face, then we can start to provide the types of skills and capabilities to support their growth. Um, So one example around that would be if you're moving from selling a product to selling a service, you then need to actually finance that product. So you have a debt requirement where the assets are then held on your balance sheet. And that then requires you to have all sorts of new insight into creating the right structure around the provision of debt and also the right type of data and controls within the company to manage that debt and the cost of debt and the risk involved. So I think there's a lot of opportunity as well to use data, um, obviously both in selection, but also actually into how to proactively support the management teams of these companies to grow faster. This has been a a really interesting conversation, but I think the success of the circular economy is going to depend on consumers too, which is everyone who's listening to this podcast. So if I can come to each of you in turn, what is your number one tip on embracing the circular economy in our everyday lives? I'll go to Ashley first. I'm going to keep it simple because I think in this very busy and, and noisy world with, you know, no one I know that has a lot of time at their disposal it's best to reframe those circular economy principles as questions, I find, particularly for private industry, you know, saying how can we design out waste and pollution? And that will open up a myriad of possibilities to then think about how they start to participate towards a more circular economy model versus probably their very linear uh, way of operating today. And so those principles are then those questions that will enable 
a trajectory towards a more mature circular economy business. And I think that's really what we need to see business do. They can increase capability, increase confidence, but hopefully through that journey, keep it as simple as possible to bring as many people along with them because it does come down to us as a collective of individuals around the world that, you know, populate government and populate private industry. Amy. Yeah, so I think my tip would be to read a book called Cradle to Cradle by William Madonna and Michael Browngott. And I read this book in 2009 and it outlines the vision of an economy which is restorative by design and the idea that in living systems, waste simply doesn't exist um, and looks at how we could redesign the economy uh, primarily from a materials perspective to be either technical materials that cycle endlessly using renewable energy or biological materials which are designed by intent to be regenerative. And the book um, helps, I think, to make you look at the world in a different way. And once you do that, everything you see, whether it's a chair or whether it's a piece of clothing or similar, you're starting to reassess how that might look in a circular economy. Um, and I think both from a personal life perspective and also from a business entrepreneurial perspective, that mindset shift is really, really powerful. So that would be my, my recommendation. Thank you. And then I'll turn to Gillian last. Thank you. I might speak to our consumer selves and thinking about the changes I've made in my house, our house, in the last probably six or seven years is to commit to making change. So ask all those questions that uh, you've just been suggested. So commit to making change, but don't expect to change everything in your life all at once. So it is, you know, the end game is about ensuring that you think about in all of your purchases, do you need it? Uh, where has it come from? Where is what's got into it? What will happen to it at the end of its use? But it's okay to pick one topic at a time, one part of the house at the time, and think differently about the next purchase as opposed to trying to redo your entire way of thinking in your entire life and feel guilty about everything and all of the stuff that's sitting around you uh, at the same time. Well, thank you very much for those tips and a big thank you to my panellists for joining me today. If you're an asset owner and you're interested in finding out more on how to integrate the circular economy into your investment process, then take a look at the IGCC's discussion paper, Regenerate and Restore. And if you've enjoyed today's episode of Critical Thinking, Critical Issues, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. And if you'd like to speak to someone at Mercer, please reach out to your local Mercer representative or email ctci at mercer.com. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions.